This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay. Uh, talking about traditional beliefs, but before we do that, let's just have a word of prayer. We are grateful, Lord, for this opportunity we have now to uh, speak about traditional religions, indigenous religions, and uh, what is really at the core of the hopes and fears of these people. And uh, give us discernment and also skills to really reach out and to relate to these people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, okay. Oh, okay, no problem. Yeah. So probably, just going to wait, he's going to uh, just start there. And I realize that I've been speaking so long that then that didn't give you time for questions and so forth. So this time I'm going to do the opposite, right? Just make a brief presentation and then so we can just open the floor for questions. Now, uh, when it comes to traditional Indigenous, tribal religions, this is probably the most widespread phenomenon. Many people don't realize that even the people who call themselves Christians sometimes are engaged in what is called dual allegiance. Basically, it means that even though they believe in Christianity, they are still carrying some beliefs from traditional, ancestral, tribal religions and so forth all over the place. This is a widespread uh, phenomenon. Everywhere I go, you know, and of course it shows in terms of superstitions, for example. Some people will walk in the street and say, oh, I'm not going to pass, you know, between the... <laughs> uh, anyway, that or the number of people around the world wearing talisman or things to protect themselves from the evil eye, and all those things, it is incredible. Uh, it is more widespread, and sometimes even in Christianity, in Adventism, I see people carrying those uh, you know, beliefs in some spirits or ancestors and so forth. This is a phenomenon that is called uh, tribal allegiance. So let me, I mean, uh, dual allegiance rather. Let me share with you a, a kind of summary. I, I thought that this would really be, be uh, like the core of traditional tribal religions. Of course, many of them believe in a high God, right? But the system of mediation is very, very strong. In many cultures, and even where, where I was born, uh, in uh, Senegal, you have many people who call themselves Muslims, but they go to shrines uh, and communicate with spirits and all kinds of things that exist in this. But why is it that uh, people in a tra traditional indigenous tribal religions, what, what is it that motivates them? Tribal religions attempt to solve the predicament of misfortune, uncertainty, and the spirit's perceived demands. So basically, 
Many people in this religion believe that you have to do everything you can to avoid misfortune. The whole system of belief is about, okay, how can you please the spirits so that they will not go against you? How can you satisfy their demands by making sacrifices, for example? Right? All this fundamentally to avoid misfortune. Now, that means that millions of people around the world believe that the spirit regulates life of human beings. Even if they believe in a higher God, they believe that they are mediators. Remember what I was telling you, I mean, for those who were, who were here at the first most world religions are based on the system of mediations. By the way, not just world religions, but even sometimes Christians themselves. And I was telling you that the new covenant is basically the opposite of that. Because the new covenant is to say, no more mediators except God himself. See? So in other words, no need for a sacred place or sacred space. No need for a sacred object. No need for a sacred person or personnel to mediate between God and the humans. But these traditional tribal religions and some Christians who believe that you need saints, you need Mary, you need, you know, I mean, uh, bishops and you name it, priests, to mediate between God and you. Besides that, you have traditional tribal religions entirely based on this idea of mediation. Because you have to avoid, basically, to displease the spirits. And, and, and when you do, then you, you have to try to atone for that. Offer sacrifices, and etc. Maybe they will be favorable to you. So, this is really core. Now, which means, which means that uh, when, as a Seventh-day Adventist, you share with these people the gospel, the focus and emphasis should be on Christ's victory over all unseen powers. All spirits, and the Bible is very clear about that, that Christ defeated Satan, the fallen angels, and even death is no longer a threat. So in other words, we do not have to fear the invisible world because Christ is Lord. We do not have to fear the future because he is the Lord of time. We do not have to fear matter because he is the Lord of matter. See, now, actually, most people becoming Christians are from traditional and tribal religions and so because of the liberating power of Christ. Eh? But most of these religions are based on this idea. I have to avoid misfortune and what can I have to get blessings? And I can tell you, even in my own family, this is something that is so adherence or adept to this religion seek what? Healing. Right? When they are sick, now you have to understand also that most people in the world, well, <laughs> For example, I was recently in a country, uh, people, you realize that they didn't have means, 
for Medicare means for, you know, like to go uh, to, to, to even to buy medication. So, of course, they will tend to rely on the healing powers of the shaman, the intermediaries, and so forth, so on, because that is the only approach many of them have. Right? So, but, but basically, they, this religion, they seek healing, they toil to avoid misfortune, they go to shrines uh, and sacrifice to gain the spirit's favor, they wear amulets, talisman to protect themselves. Yeah? They are, I mean, you, uh, you have seen this all over the place, in the Middle East, in Africa, here in America, you, you, you have a lot of people wearing still, protecting themselves, believing, you know, all kinds of uh, things, suppositions, and so forth, so on. So, how do we engage these people? Now, the Bible is clear that Christ defeated all the evil powers. Now, that's just one aspect, though, the victory. The other aspect is the knowledge of God, that God loves human beings, that human beings are not just, you know, like uh, uh, used as instruments in a game between spirits according to their moods, but that God loves, invests in, and is engaged in trying to save people. So this is the reason, let's, let, let's be very clear about this. The people who accept Jesus Christ, there's no question about this, are freed. Sorry. They, they don't have to fear anymore. I have to tell you something, and this is like a personal story. To, to uh, illustrate this, you know, I could spend time telling you about the different uh, you know, tribal religions, you know, in Asia, the shaman, and so forth, so on, uh, in Africa, what, what, you know, what you have, the mediums, and so forth, the spiritualists here in America, and so forth, so on. But those are information. The reality is that you have something, the, a power that has conquered all negative forces of the universe. That's really the gospel, the good news. Right? And this is a liberating power. And I must tell you, myself, I grew up in a context, and you know, and you know I, I have a deep respect for my uh, you know, parents, family, and so forth. But when we were young, you know, instead of telling us, for example, don't go out, because I was a very active person, you know, Instead of telling you, don't go out, it's, it's late, or something, no, 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 they, you know, they, <laughs> I used to hear, don't go out because they are, you know, evil spirits in the trees and so forth, so on. If you go at this time, it's too late. So you basically grow up developing what? Fear. Fear of what is going to happen to you. Fear of the, uh, you know, of the spirits. And of course, that means that you don't know God. It's too far away. So you grow up, and I remember one day, I was uh, asked, at the time I was a PhD student at Andrews University, and uh, they asked me to go and teach at an intensive course. Uh, they call it, um, anyway, uh, it was in a country, Rwanda. So I was sent, so I went to Rwanda to teach. And one day, one evening, 
I finished teaching, it was late. So the students after that left and I had to cross, you know, <laughs> a small forest or something like that to get to the house that, uh, you know, that they prepared for the guests that I was. For whatever reason, now it was late, dark, right? And I was walking. And I walk. When I got into the middle of the forest, I stopped because just, it's like a, 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 an amazing feeling all of a sudden invaded me. A feeling of peace. And I wonder what is going on? What is happening to me? And then I remembered the life of fear I used to live when I was a child. And now because of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his power and protection and provision, I don't have to worry about my environment. It was quite an experience. And then, there, I remember. Actually, I thank God because I say, wow, that's really the difference between living in, in a world of fear, fear of displeasing the spirits, fear because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the future, fear because you don't know about the invisible world. And all of a sudden now, I can rest in peace in Christ Jesus because he has delivered me from my fears and from all these unseen spiritual forces. Remember, even the Apostle Paul said that we don't have to, fly, to fight against flesh and blood because, yes, it's true, some spirit influence people also to do bad things. That's the reality. But... For Christians, though, no fear whatsoever. No fear. Why? Because of the one who is with us is stronger than the one that is in the world. Now, this is really, uh, this is why I believe that m most people becoming Christians are, uh, comes from, come from this worldview uh, or this reality of fear, of not having the assurance of being loved by God being saved by God. You know, so, so, so this is really what is, uh, what is at stake here. Yeah? So uh, I, uh, I thought to be very brief and uh, to tell you wherever you go in the world, here, you know, in uh, South America, and think about, I just come from a country. Uh, I visited a country um, last week. I was in Togo. And then I traveled to Benin, uh, that was the, and I crossed a city that is the center of voodoo, for example. Uh, they even have a temple uh, uh, with a python and all these things there. In the, now, I didn't go there, but I crossed the, just to tell you, that's traditional tribal and you name it. And you have the same thing happening here in America, people worshiping the devil having, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of things, traditional, spiritualistic. And the Bible tells us that also in the time of the end in which we are living, spirits of demons will go around the world to spread false doctrines. Right? Uh, and this you find in the book of Revelation, the, you know, the, um, uh, in, uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, now, you know probably chapter 14, talking, talking about the three angels' messages, right? Three angels' messages going around the world proclaiming the everlasting good news. But at the, at the same time, 
Parallel to that, and I will read now to you in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, you have this time not three angels' messages, but uh, let me see. All right. Okay, here is. Okay, uh, yes. So, Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. It says the following. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and so forth so on. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, listen to this, three unclean spirits. Three angels' messages. Now we have three unclean spirits and we are told like frogs. Hmm? What do they do? For they are, by the way, demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to, uh, to the king of the world to assemble them for, for the battle on the, day, on, I mean, on the great day of the God Almighty. Now, interestingly, notice, three spirits of spring going around the world, you know, per performing signs, even, miracles. But they are counterfeit spirits. Interestingly, in the Bible, uh, there is always counterfeit of the good. You have a trinity, counterfeit trinity, Revelation 12 and 13. You have Christ, you have a counterfeit Christ, false Christ. You have, by the way, the Holy Spirit. Again, Revelation 13, you have counterfeit Holy Spirit uh, making, uh, per, per, performing even miracles. So you have three angels' messages. Well, you have three spirits of frog going around the world, performing signs, making miracles, and so forth and so on. Actually, this is pure spiritualism. And the Bible says that the end time is also a time of deception. So the, uh, the, uh, what is happening at, uh, at, at a tribal religion level and all those things is also happening at a global scale level to basically mimic, to counterfeit basically the truth that Christ is given. But to all our message for us is to say that Christ defeated all demonic spirits, that we don't have to be afraid, uh, and that once we come to Christ, we are liberated now. It's over. Yeah? Uh, so this is why Christians do not have to have dual allegiance. Fear that, oh, wow, you know, I'm in the church, but I cannot. You are free to walk anywhere, you know, between any kind of, it doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because Christ has defeated them. And you have the name of Christ with you, nothing to fear. It's really true liberation. That is what brought me personally, by the way, uh, to uh, Christianity when I was told that the day I will know Christ, I'll be free. And freedom, of course, as I say earlier, to have access to God directly, no need for mediations, no need for the, uh, for the spirits to mediate, no need for ancestors, they are dead anyway. You have to believe in the immortality of the soul in order to, you know, to think. But most culture are involved in this. Worship to ancestors, you go to Japan, you go to Asia, uh, I mean to Asia in general, uh, Africa in general, you know, communicating with the spirits and all this kind of thing all over the world. 
So it's part of our mission as we, uh, as we share the last message of love, of compassion, of hope, of mercy with the world that we clearly have a message to tell to these people also of the tribal religions who live in fear, who are subjected to demons or spirits, and with all due respect, you know, that Christ he, and the liberation that he offers is complete. And it is about a future of joy, not fear or anxiety, you know. Uh, so that's basically what I wanted to share briefly on this and then open the floor because I spoke so much on the last presentation that I didn't give any, any time for questions. So the time is yours now so we can interact. Any question, clarification? I was, was I so clear that you have no question at all or something? <laughs> no. What do you think? Or if you have actually experience or something you know about, you know, traditional tribal, yes, please. Which one? Because I quoted so many things. Huh? I wish I knew, you know, like what, what, what I was talking about, because then I would remember immediately. <laughs> so, that he said something about, is, was it when I was talking about the concept that for, for Muslims, Islam is the best religion? That the, the Bible is, uh, that the Quran rather is the best book? Because the previous books were corrupted in that, you know, in their system, and then finally, that Muhammad is the greatest prophet. No, but 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 uh, the Quran uh, basically is believed, you know, according to Muslim, to be God's word through Muhammad to the people. But I remember the. Uh, uh, the, the mention I made about the Quran was the Quran is guidance. Now, but that is in the Quran. Clearly, the first, uh, uh, the second chapter, you know, after the first chapter called the Fatiha, the opening, the beginning, you have a Surat, uh, you know, it is called Sur, Surat Al-Baqarah. Uh, the second Surah of the Quran basically says, Zalikal Kitab La Rayba Fihi Hudalil Mutaqeen. It's because I learned this when I was a little boy, so I still remember. So uh, th this is the book. There's no doubt in it, who done guidance for the God-fearing, literally. So that I remember I quoted, but, but, but that is from the Quran. Uh, but of course, they will say that God is saying that through the Prophet Muhammad. I... Don't remember then. I'm so sorry. And that's your fault, you know, that you should have it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no problem. Okay. So, yes, please. Uh, 
Absolutely. This is probably one of the most difficult aspects of syncretism or of people coming from a uh, religion that is so woven in the culture. Uh, actually, that is true for, this is why it's difficult for Senegalese people, for example, Muslims from Senegal, it's difficult for them to become Christian. The reason is that Islam is so woven in the culture that they have come to believe that that is their identity. Culture, it, it's actually not true because that's because of Arabic, Arab colonization that brought them to that stage. They had a history before that, but they tend to believe that, you know. It's like when you hear in, uh, in America some... Uh, African-American Muslims, for example, say, oh, yeah, we were, we were Muslims before Christianity I mean, came. That's absolutely false. You know, they, they had tribal, traditional religions. You know, Islam came to conquer as Christianity. And by the way, uh, slavery was exactly the same thing. But to your question now, more directly, uh, this is, uh, I think we ought to trust people from the culture to make the discernment what is really culturally neutral and what is culturally compromised. And having, now it's, it is a difficult work, but having the courage to cut with anything that is culturally compromised. Because if, for example, some rituals and sacrifices that seem to be cultural are really worship of devils and demons, then there's no compromise possible. You know? Uh, but if there are some neutral, um, you know, features within the culture, the way people dress or whatever, you know, that may be just purely conventional and cultural, why not? You know, the mistake would be to think that to become Christian is to espouse Western culture, because it's not. Christianity started before, uh, you know, and it came, uh, you know, uh, within the Western culture. So, uh, and this is a great temptation even for uh, Africans, for example, who sometimes even want to even picture Jesus a certain way, as if he is a Westerner, for example. Now, those are reminiscences of missionary work. You know, people came and brought not only the gospel, but their culture also. So I think people ought to move beyond and say there's no culture that is good. All cultures are contaminated. But now the question is, how do we decontaminate things and adopt principles that are Christians and that can be embraced in any culture? But the, the, this is really hard work, but it's possible. Now, it's more difficult in some areas where uh, the evil one has penetrated the structure, societal, and you name it, that, you know, so... 
in, uh, in some areas, for example, uh, <laughs> uh, let's take the case of polygamy. It's cultural in some areas. But when people become Christian, it ought to be clear that this is not something that is part of God's ideal. Now, and clearly, even when they come, some go to the Bible and say, yeah, but look at Abraham, look at Jacob, you know, and so forth. Say, yes, because in the Bible you have a difference between God's absolute will and God's permissive will. God's absolute will should always be what we are striving after. Let me give an example. Jesus, well, even before Jesus, let me go to the Old Testament. Israel wanted to have a king. God did not want Israel to have a king. That's clear. But he allowed them. So God's absolute will was no king. Permissive will, or oh, you want a king? Get one. Right? Divorce. No divorce. That's not God's will. But allowed because of the weakness of human heart. Jesus said, by the way. You know? and, but then he reminded them God's absolute will. He created Adam and Eve. Not a polygamous, you know, person. So cultures where they lived with polygamy for centuries and you name it, well, they ought to learn the gospel. Now, it happened gla gradually within the New Testament. The Apostle Paul telling people, okay, those of you who are polygamous, you cannot be in a leadership position. Right? Husband of, this is why you find in Timothy and so forth, uh, the elder should be husband of one wife and, you know, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, so, so this is, um, but it has to be done. And that, by the way, is called reformation. It is ongoing. Whatever we find in Adventism that is not in harmony with the scripture and God's absolute will, we should drop and adopt, have the courage to do it differently. Any other question? This is probably really one of the most sensitive questions today. Uh, but it should be accompanied to a broader one. Meaning, there's no culture that is Christian. It doesn't exist. There is no nation that is Christian. Do you hear me? This is a difficult one. Because some people forget Daniel, God's kingdom that is coming, and think that there is throughout history a nation that is a righteous one. It doesn't exist. This is why, you know, when people come and say, oh, look at what is happening in America. Look now, uh, you know, this and that. I say, so, this is not God's kingdom. <laughs> now, there are good principles and values, freedom, and all that, but there's no such thing as a Christian nation because the Christian nation ought to have a Christian constitution, right? And it, it doesn't exist. This is a shock whenever I say this you know, to, to places. You mean to tell me, no, yes, I mean to tell you very clearly, there's the, the Christian nation is the one that Christ is going to establish when he comes back. That's why I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Everything before that, starting with Egypt, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, 
Romans, Byzantine, and you go out throughout history until today, there's not one nation that has shown righteousness. It doesn't exist. Hmm? Now, yes, there are nations that, has, that have you know, come closer to some of the Christian ideals, but not one of them has taken like the Sermon on the Mount as, you know, for example, constitution doesn't exist. But Christians can be witnesses in those nations and show the best in life, in solidarity, equality, in, you know, the, that I would say, yes, of course, because we are witnesses. I don't ask them, says Jesus, to take them out of the world, but to preserve them from evil. And the being preserved from, uh, from, from evil is part of also, you know, um, the agenda of what God really wants so that we can fulfill our mission, share the gospel with everyone, everywhere. Any question? By the way, at this stage, the last one, even if it's from a previous presentation I made during the whole day, that because I didn't have time to give you know, much time to people to ask questions, feel free. I really do it on purpose to open it. Tomorrow I will go more detail, longer presentation on secularism and postmodernism and the philosophies behind what is going on in our world today, where do we come from, what, you know, so forth. Why is it that many young people do not believe? Is it just overnight, just, just like that? Why? So I will spend more time. Yes, please. Well, uh, Satan works with where people are and what they believe. You have a sociocultural, religious context where people are into spiritualism. In those settings, of course, the spirits, you know, because people believe in that. It's part of the culture, the system, and so forth, so on. They tend to uh, you know, I mean, the stories and so forth happen in that, and these are real things that happen. People doing harm to one another, you know, going through the spirit, because it's, it is a system that is embraced. Now, but this happens everywhere, though, except that in other settings, like in here, because of centuries of secularism and so forth, so on, has brought this country to this level of uh, 
of uh, operating, socially speaking. But it doesn't mean that, I mean, you know, if you know the history of this country, even witch hunt and all those things, uh, it happened here and everywhere also, everywhere. But you go to some places, like where I was in Benin, where voodoo is like a national something, you know, it's uh, actually, <laughs> I just received an invitation. I was supposed to be tomorrow at a major event, uh, you know, and they wanted me to come to speak about peace and so forth. But at the same platform, they wanted to invite a voodoo priest and then a Catholic and then, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that because this was like a national type of reconciliation of religion so that they respect one another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But because I had accepted to come here, uh, you know, so and also maybe uh, if it is to come to talk about peace and so forth, someone, I will join. But if it is anything about praying together or something like that, then I cannot, you know. So this is where no compromise, because I cannot endorse a voodoo prayer, you know. Uh, but the voodoo has the right to pray, you know. But it is just that I will not be participating in that personally. But the voodoo is free to pray whatever, or et cetera, et cetera. So it's really a matter of context and what society has come to. In some parts of America, you go today, spiritualism is extremely strong. It's not just, you know, and of course, more so in Central America and in South America than here. Because again, of history, of, uh, you know, voodoo and spiritualism and so forth. So on. Yeah. Now, but definitely, in the end time, prophecy is clear. There will be widespread deception. The spirits of demons that Revelation talks about will spread beyond. You know, when you think about it, even if it looks so sophisticated, uh, New Age and all those things, you know, New Age religions, and that's tribal religion also. You know, it seems connected to believe in stars and, you know, and so forth and so on. But it is the same principle, even if it looks more sophisticated. Yes, please. Can I speak to Sure. I'm, uh, I'm sorry? Hmm? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it was, yeah, no problem. You can take the picture and then you know, drop it there. Any other question? Yes, please. Hmm. Now, it's not true that the Quran says indiscriminately to kill. This was a context. Now, even that context we reject as Christians, meaning Christ is the person of peace. I don't imagine Christ, by the way, he, he forbid Peter to take up his sword, clearly. Christ did not want to harm anyone. It's out of the question to even think about Christianity. Now, it has become that, meaning a Christianity that's what hijacked, you know, in the Middle Age and so forth and so on, and they use the religion 
as a weapon to fight, but, but that is instrumentalization of religion. However, in Islam, it is part of the story and the journey of their prophet that he has waged war, right? He has killed people, yes, all those things. Now, the, the problem is, in a context of war, that was just the culture of the time. Yeah? Then uh, he would say, pursue and kill the infidels wherever you find them. But that was the context. They could not just take that and generalize it and say, okay, this is now a global wholesale fight war against all the infidels wherever they are. Some terrorist extremists read it this way. Why? Because they have this understanding that the world is divided into two. What they call in Arabic the house of war, Dar al-Harb, and the house of peace, Dar al-Islam. So Muslims, where they are, or where people are converted to Islam, it is called house of peace. The goal of the religion, according to these terrorists, is to conquer the house of war and turn it into a house of peace, meaning to have universal Islam. This is how, uh, and it was in the, in the ethos, the fabric of early Muslims. Remember, these were Bedouin tribes. Their lifestyle were, was fighting. Razia, they call. You attack a tribe, you, you know, you win, so you take the spoil. That is how they lived. But when they all became Muslims, unified, then the fights was directed towards first the conquest. That's why you have rapid Muslim conquests, North Africa, Middle East, and so forth, in no time, and then expanding it up to India. Think about it. Yeah? All of a sudden, the tribal Bedouins and so forth, so on, became, wow, very rich palaces, and you name it, and they, and they were ruling the world. Actually, this is. <laughs> Uh, uh, I was in um, Abuja, Nigeria, uh, two months ago, made a presentation uh, and uh, appealing to Africans. I say, you know, most of the religions that are here are not indigenous to this continent. But you are using these religions to fight one another. So it doesn't make sense. And, and I say, okay, take the case even of slavery. You have two kinds. You have the transatlantic slavery by those who were calling themselves Christians at the time, the Portuguese, and you name it. But you have a slavery also that lasted, that started earlier and lasted long after, that is the trans-Saharian slavery by Arabs, Muslims. Okay? So, and I was explaining the, those things to them and say, it doesn't make sense for Africans in the name of religions, whatever that is, to start fighting and killing one another. And I was saying that in the context of Boko Haram, you know, radical Islamists and so forth, trying to kill people and so forth, so on. You know? Again, uh, uh, but they will, radical Muslims will look at the Quran and say, see, Muhammad fought. But this morning, uh, I don't know if you were here, but I made a difference between the first phase of the life of Muhammad, which was in Mecca. And during that phase, while well, he was married to one wife, Khadija, he actually uh, preached monotheism, social justice. He was really involved in, uh, he, he was a minority, he was persecuted himself. He suffered. 
But then in 622, he went to Medina. And there he became a state person, a military. Then Islam completely changed, started waging wars. He didn't fight when he was in Mecca, but then after, wow, you know? So you have two kinds of Islam, one moderate and the other one more aggressive and fighting. So terrorists look at the example of Medina and then say, you know, they see the, the, the prophet, especially this is the last phase of his life. So they say, this is the model. That's why in the Quran, you have several even contradictory statements or teachings. However, Muslims say that the example of Medina actually invalidates the previous one. This is, this is a, a phenomenon that is called the abrogation, the, you know, the phenomenon of abrogation. There are later verses abrogating the first. For example, the first, uh, if Muslims ought lived according to the first verses uh, revealed in Mecca, for example, one of them was, there is no compulsion in religion. It's there in the Quran, chapter 2. No compulsion. So in other words, you cannot force someone. But is that what history did? No. They will say, oh yeah, but in Medina, you know, after that, the conquest and so forth. So that's a proceed. So this verse is actually abrogated. Yeah? This is why you, you don't have one Islam. It's why you have so many contradictions. Yeah? Uh, it's not coherent. But they will say, okay, this one abrogates this verse, this, you know, and so forth and so on. Then it becomes extremely, that's why you have so many terrorists around the world claiming, oh, you know, Muhammad is our model. You know, the Salafi, let's live according to, you know, like uh, uh, the, the time of the Prophet Muhammad. Sixth century, but that's sixth, seventh century. You know, that's what, we are, what we're finding, unfortunately. So you find uh, I remember a Muslim, you know, who, uh, who became a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, saying one day, you find everything in the Quran. I mean, literally everything. Contradiction, some good things, some other things, you know. But the, the way Muslims uh, navigate with that is to say, well, these verses ab abrogate this, so this is not valid anymore, etc., etc., etc. You find even like uh, in a form of Islam that is called mystic, mystic Islam, the Sufi, uh, most of West Africa is actually Sufi Islam. Uh, you know, they will even refuse war also. You know, they will say no. And they will talk about love and so forth. So, so you find everything there, basically. Yeah? yeah? Yes? This is their problem. I mean, really a deep problem because, uh, well, what Muslims do is they, they idealize Muhammad. Actually, to a degree that his life become model. You know, they will say, well, this was the beginning of Islam. He had to protect the community. That's why he went in the fort, but so forth. But, you see what I'm saying? So they will justify it by saying this was a time when and so forth and so on, but he was a man of peace, he, etc., etc., and they will embellish it. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, yeah. 
Any other question? Have you had, had a long day? And now it's time for us to just say, let's close it here. Is that OK, like that? Huh? You have about 10 minutes until 5. Is that uh, right? But I think uh, I've been talking nonstop almost, right? right? So then uh, we can stop here today. And if, unless you have a pressing question and so forth and so on, then that will be it for today. And tomorrow, it will be at uh, 9, whatever, 15. Then I'll talk about a topic that is very, I think that will surprise many. Why is it that contemporary young people are resistant to the gospel? What is this mindset or worldview, mentality, that makes even our own families, children, and you name it, shun from religion? What is it? It's not just, it, it, it didn't happen overnight. And what can, we, what, what can be done to facilitate the discovery of the true face of God and the true heart of God? That's what I'll be talking tomorrow for um, my presentation. Okay? Thank you very much for coming and uh, see you tomorrow, hopefully. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.